Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Pre-Med Office Hours, episode 143. It's amazing. Uh, We've been doing this for about three years, I guess. The numbers tell us. I think our first one, yeah, was sometime April, May 2020. So, wow. Um, yeah. Welcome back. This is an hour of live pre-med office hours. It's open questions and answers. Now, we say with the medical school headquarters advising team, by which we mean some members. Sometimes there are three of us. This is a rough week at MSHQ World, friends. We've got uh, people on vacation. We've got people sick. We've got people who aren't sick but are out because they're taking care of sick family members. But we do also have two med school headquarter advisors here for you. We're going to do our best to make you really happy with that attendance. Let me introduce the star of today. Oh, not me. No, wrong girl. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Uh, You are are the star. uh, (laughs) No. Uh, Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director of TMDSAS. We were just talking about this last night. Mm. Also former associate dean of UT Dallas and former president of the National Association of Health Professors professional advisors. Uh, You've got a long and tenured history. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. And I I have no idea how all that happened, but it, so yeah. So hopefully I have a few things I can say that are relevant and uh, 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 focused enough to, uh, to be helpful. So we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And then if you don't know me, I am Rachel Grubbs. I'm one of the MAPT and Medical School Headquarters co-founders. I've been advising students on the MCAT and pre-med process for about 20 years. Um, And uh, between Scott and I, we've got a pretty deep bench of expertise here. Um, If you are new to this session, the idea is any topic is fair game. YouTube does allow kind of limited comments, so you got to think about narrowing into a pretty specific question. This isn't a place for life story, but you can ask us about the pre-med process, about the med school application process. Uh, You can ask us about prereqs. You can ask us about MCAT. Um, There have definitely been um, some... um, little changes happening with the application process that have been Mm -hmm. announced recently. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've talked about in in recent weeks how ACOMIS is now letting you designate your schools and actually showing that to the schools before you apply. Um, We've talked a little bit about um, the unconfirmed but confirmed rumors that the disadvantaged essay from AMCAS is changing to other impactful. You know, part of what we're here to do Mm -hmm. is to share our expertise with you. And also part of what we're here to do is kind of analyze pre-med news as it comes out. So really any, any question is fair game. We want to hear from you. So feel free to go ahead and type in the chat. If you're on Facebook um, or on um, YouTube, those are the best places for us to see your comments. And uh, we'll we'll put them up on the screen and start answering them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, here we go. RF says, "Does having a master's help if I had a low GPA in undergrad?" What do you think, Doctor? Right. Um, so yeah, this is a complicated uh, question. Um, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, whether or not it will help is relative to kind of the story that you have um, created, what your undergrad GPA looks like. Is there a trend that might um, be beneficial or not? And it also depends on what your master's degree is in. Uh, honestly, if it's a special master's program, that's one thing. If it's a strictly discipline-based master's program in, in biology, for example, or neuroscience, uh, that will be something that will be different. Um, and uh, Or if it's in a non-science field, 
then it could uh, could you know be helpful. So RF says uh, later that he it's in biomedical sciences, I guess, and so that would certainly help. It sounds very similar to a um, special master's program um, type thing, and so <clears throat> so RF the 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 thing is that it could be helpful. Uh, depends on kind of how you do in it. Uh, but uh, what they're, the fact that you have a master's degree uh, is not as relevant to the process as what the master's degree is in, what classes you took in the master's program, and how you did in those courses. Uh, that will be uh, impactful uh, to your application. So assuming that you do well in the master's program, yes, it can, uh, it can be helpful. Uh, I don't know that it will necessarily totally erase the low undergrad GPA, mm -hmm. uh, but it will, you know, certainly give the medical school some assistance in under understanding your academic um, uh, po power. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. The thing I would add just to help you kind of think big picture RF is the GPA isn't just there as a random metric. The GPA is the way med schools try to assess your readiness to handle the rigor of med school. So the real question is, can you show that even if you were a different student in prior years, that now you're the kind of student who can take really hard science classes and be successful in them? That's, that's what med schools are looking for with the GPA is first two years of med school are incredibly fast, right? Biochemistry is 15 weeks in college. It's probably two weeks in med school. So are you ready for not only the rigor you have had, but even more rigor? That's what they're looking for. So it's not just the number, it's the meaning behind the number. So, so instead of does a master's help, it's can I show them that I'm a different student? I think that's mm -hmm. the question you wanna ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, good luck. Yeah. Good question. Okay, Jacob says, does the order of work experiences matter in AMCAS and ACOMAS? Uh, no, and here's why. You don't get to control what the med schools do with the data once it's submitted, right? So when we create our AMCAS applications, you have an ability on your student side to like create a PDF and you'll see activities on your PDF. You'll see a verified GPA once it's been verified. You'll see your activities um, and then you'll see your personal statement. But the med schools aren't just sent that PDF. They are sent the data and they can slice and dice that data in any order, in any configuration they want. So don't waste any time thinking about flow. Don't ever assume that they've read one thing before they've read another thing. Each thing must stand alone because mm -hmm. you just have no way of knowing what they're going to do with the information that you send over. Mm -hmm. Correct. Question, same thing Jacob. for, same thing, same thing for Acomas. Yes. Yeah. And also Texas, right? Right. That's yeah. right. Loretta says, how old is too old for med school? Um, 108? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, Scott? Well, I I have a couple of great examples of this. Yeah. Um, I think that um, that depends. Uh, age is not a factor in the process of, of evaluating applicants. Now, what is a factor is sometimes things that can be uh, closely related to age, things that you've done, things that you're uh, involved in, past experiences and work, work history, that kind of stuff. I have a student I'm working with right now who is 51 and uh, is has a uh, acceptance and then is on a couple of wait lists and mm -hmm. sort of waiting for to hear back on a couple of other schools. I knew uh, back in my days at Southwestern, <clears throat> we had a... Um, uh, uh, we had an applicant who was actually a single mother mm -hmm. and uh, with three kids. Now, her kids were not small. They were they were older. But uh, when she matriculated to medical school, she was 50. Yep. And uh, she um, 
was the president of her class every year and yeah. graduated and went on to uh, great things and is out practicing medicine right now. Yep. So, uh, so I don't know how old you are, Loretta, but I hope those two uh, examples can encourage you uh, that uh, you are only as old as you think you are mm -hmm. in your head. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they're going to be looking for is really your commitment to medicine and having having given relevant experiences to what that commitment looks like. And, and that's what they're going to be looking for. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I think it's a tricky thing, right? Because, of course, by law, um, yes. any kind of discrimination about age older age there is actually you know you can be too young to go to med school just because you have to be right. too young to be a professional right, right. but by <laughs> law you really cannot be too old for med school that said i'm not going to pretend that people don't bring biases right and here's the thing i want to say about that bias is not okay but you can also think about where does that bias stem from if it's the idea of like young is good and old is bad obviously that's not okay but when you are in your third year of med school, you're in the hospital maybe 60, 80 hours a week, mm -hmm. right? So this is, I'm not, I'm not defending it. I think the way we train our physicians could use some, um, a dose of humanity, yes. <laughs> right? I, I, I would like to see kinder, more reasonable setups for the way we train our future physicians. But currently, the reality is the system demands a lot of physical stamina. So I don't think you can be too old, but I do think you have to think about, um, yes. and like I think actually, I think often older <laughs> applicants bring a lot more wisdom and compassion mm -hmm. and life experience mm -hmm. and skills. Mm -hmm. But I also want to make sure that you've thought through the physical consequences. And, and again, this isn't me dissuading you. I'm just saying, I think that's what some of the bias is about. And if you're a fit, healthy person, and if you happen to mention in one of your activities, hobbies that you run for fun, I, I mean, it, you know, I mean, obviously tell the truth, but, <laughs> um, you know, I think it, it helps just to let them know that like, you've yeah. got the physical part down too. Yeah, that's right. I, I, there is a story that I have actually verified is, is true that uh, at one medical school some number of years ago, maybe eh, 20 years ago, perhaps, mm -hmm. um, a uh, student that was 69 yeah. uh, enrolled in medical school, was, was offered acceptance, enrolled in medical school, and as I understand it, made it through the first two years uh, with no problems. But when they got to the clinical years, they could not handle exactly what you're talking about, Rachel. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the the physical uh, um, challenges uh, because of being up so so uh, often and not getting maybe as much rest as you need and stuff like that. Uh, and this applicant ended up having to drop out of uh, drop out of medical school. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a shame. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I don't I don't need a physician who can stand on their feet for 12 hours. Right. I don't need a physician who can eat a granola bar for lunch while still on rounds. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think that's necessary, um, but it is currently part of the training system. So. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's correct. Like Scott said, it's not about age. It's just about um, can you show that you're ready? Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck, Lorena. Sarah says, hi, guys, how do you nail the question? Why medicine? What are admissions looking for? Oh, yeah. I'm just going to get my secret answer that I've been hiding. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yeah, lots of love, Sarah. I understand. <laughs> big question. Yeah. Um, this is so big that we have whole advising programs that do nothing but help you nail this question. So I just yep. want to say at the outset, even though uh, Scott and I are going to try to tackle this, Two minutes, 20 minutes, not justice, right? Um, right. Uh, this is a great place for me to remind everyone that Application Academy, which is our group advising program, um, tuition is normally $599. It's currently on sale for $499. If you are hoping to start med school in 2024, your last chance to join Application Academy is this Sunday, April 2nd. So you've got uh, today, as this is live on Wednesday, March 29th, so you've got five mm -hmm. more days. If you're applying next year, don't worry, it'll open again in the fall for more mm -hmm. enrollments. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're hoping to start med school next year, 
what we do in Application Academy, we, we are now up to 15 sessions a week so that we're keeping our average class size small, 10 to 15 per students, is we're doing personal statement essay review, activities essay review, interview prep. We're even doing secondary pre-writing already. <laughs> um, the, the why medicine question has to be deeply personal. So there's yeah. no formulaic answer for us because it's, well, what's your why medicine and helping you refine it. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, but yeah, let's, let's try to dig into what this is. So how do you able to question why medicine? Well, I think one thing I wanna point out is the first thing is that's really important is to actually answer that question. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most common mistakes I see with personal statements um, is people write essays that answer different questions. The prompts say, why medicine? Why do you wanna be a physician? Why medical school? And many people write essays that are, here's my life story. Uh, here are all the things that I think will make you think I'm interesting or compassionate. Um, here are all the qualities that I think physicians should have. Um, physicians are superheroes and I wanna be one. Um, here are all my skills and competencies, aren't I qualified? And none of those actually answer the question, why medicine? So what I love about your question, Sarah, is you didn't say, how do I nail the personal statement? You said, how do I nail the right prompt? And that's an amazing first start mm -hmm. step because you'd be surprised how many people falter right there at that step. Mm -hmm. um, what do you wanna add here, Scott? Yeah, I mean, Sarah, I think that um, a big part of this question and, and you know, uh, Rachel has said this already, but authenticity here is crucial and telling your story about why you're interested in medicine uh, is really important here. And that can, that's gonna be uh, somewhat different for every applicant. You know, your story is your story. And, uh, and you tell, you know, honestly, that's what admissions committees are looking for, is for you to tell them your story of where this comes from for you and why it's important to you and uh, things that you've done and what you've learned about yourself and about medicine uh, in the process of doing those things, uh, that's what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there is no formula here. There is no secret uh, agenda behind this question. It is simply understanding for you, Sarah, what are you, uh, why do you wanna do this? Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, if you're looking for a little more insight on this, um, if you go to applicationacademy.com on there, in addition, of course, to having the enrollment, if you're interested in joining that program, we have a link to a prior Application Academy class where um, Dr. Gray talks about the anatomy of the personal statement, his philosophy on success, his pitfalls, and then he starts to brainstorm with students their personal statement seed, which for us in the kind of language we use when we're talking about personal statements is, what was that first moment that you thought, hmm, maybe healthcare? And the way we think about the personal statement is sort of taking it on a journey of, what was my seed? What was the moment I thought maybe healthcare? What were a few moments that helped me confirm my desire to enter medicine? And then ideally a conclusion that's really aspirational. And obviously that's one simple rubric. It's not the only way to approach a personal statement, but we find it to be a really powerful way. And so um, Sarah or anyone who's interested, if you're looking for a little more insight there, I would definitely go to applicationacademy.com, click on that video, and you will be able to not only get more insights into how to kind of ask yourself the right questions mm -hmm. um, to write a great essay, but also to see a little bit of what group advising looks like. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Sarah. Great question. And thanks for giving me a natural opportunity to plug my program. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Miss A. Blue. Oh, she, she did a whammy, a triple whammy. Three questions in one. Okay. What is the latest to submit the application? How will all experiences done one year prior to the application submitted? I'm going to have to come back to that. I don't know what that means. Can a graduate certificate help instead of a master's degree? Okay. So let's start with the first one. What is the latest to submit the application? There is a technical answer and a real answer. So you will see technically that many med schools allow submissions as late as October, November, December. I do not at all recommend doing that. Right. Um, the reality of this process is it is rolling applications 
for basically all med schools enrolling admissions for most. And what I mean by that, um, there are some schools that say, oh, no, we don't do rolling admissions. We offer all of our acceptances at once. Yes, but they're still offering interviews as applications come in. And let's do some numbers here. I'll, um, I'll use Courtney Lewis, one of our fellow advisors, as an example. She has stated that at her med school where she was the director of admissions, <clears throat> most years she had about 6,000 applicants. She had about 400 interview seats. And she had about 200 seats to actually fill her med school class. So if she starts offering interviews in July for August and is offering more interviews in September and October, if you don't apply until October, then a lot of the interview seats are already gone. So the later you apply, the harder it is to even make that first cut. Um, so so this, the thing that I think is really important is to try to apply as early as you can in the cycle while still being ready. Um, my ideal timeline for you is that you're submitting no later than early June, your primary, and that you're completing all your secondary work by like mid-July. That's mm -hmm. ideal. Mm -hmm. um, and now here's where people are going to go, what about two weeks after that? What about two weeks after that? What about two weeks after that? It's a sliding scale. The later mm -hmm. you apply, the fewer interview seats that are probably left. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's try to piece out. How will all experiences done one year prior to the application submitted? I still don't know what that means. I think it's, I think, I think what she, she's wanting to know is if you start an experience during your, you know, right before your application, the year before your application, or even six months or four months before your application, how's that going to be viewed oh. in the, in the process. I, yeah. I'm sort of thinking that's what, what she's yeah. wondering about. And what I would say to that is it's relative uh, mm -hmm. as so much is in this process. It's relative to what the activity is, when you start it. There's a big difference between starting it a year before you apply and starting it two months before you apply. Yeah. You know, the, the, the closer it is to the application you submit, uh, the more suspect it is going to be that you just did that just to get it on your application. And uh, now whether or not that's true, you know, it is, 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 is another thing, but it, 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 it may not, it may not matter because the perception will be <clears throat> that you noticed a weakness in your application or an advisor pointed out a weakness in your application. And so you, we started hustling around to figure out how to fill that, fill that weakness. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, you know, a good thing, but on the other hand, it does, um, it does kind of, you know, uh, taste a lot in the mouth about you're just checking off check boxes to say, okay, I did that. I did that. I did that. I did that. Uh, so I would be <clears throat> uh, careful about that, but uh um, just kind of be aware that the closer it is to the application, the more it may look uh, a little odd. Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, there's that old saying, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? Right. When's the second best time today? Yeah. If you haven't started yet, start. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a full-time job, right? You could volunteer at hospice one day a month. Just start getting your clinical, right? Yeah. Start doing something. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip the third question because we already answered it earlier. So, Miss A. Blue, maybe you joined late. Catch the replay. We've, we've already said whether it's a post-bac, grad certificate, or master's, it's not about the technicality of the program. It's about taking rigorous sciences and showing that you're ready for med school. So, if yeah. you want a more in-depth answer, just go catch the replay. Yeah. Jawad. Jawad says, I have the opportunity to shadow an ophthalmologist once a week for as long as I want. Can I make this a separate shadowing activity with, along with combined shadowing activity for other specialties? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. No rules and activities, Jawad. Um, mm. Sometimes we have said it's okay to collapse all your shadowing into one activity, particularly in AMCAS where you only have 15. And I've realized this often happens with things we say, we'll say something's okay, and people start to internalize it as that's the only way. Um, so um, we actually just had this debate in Application Academy last week because 
someone wrote a shadowing essay and then a bunch of students were like, oh, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're just supposed to do a list of all the doctors. And first of all, the student had had, it sounds similar to you, a really in-depth shadowing experience and they had things to say. And second of all, Courtney Lewis, former director of admissions, was leading the class that night. And her point was, I would like to know what the shadowing meant to you. Yeah. Right. So if you are lucky, enough, it's so hard to get shadowing. If you're lucky enough to shadow 17 physicians, then, yeah, that might be the one activity where you just list names and specialties and don't dig real deep. Um, but if you've had a meaningful experience and you, you know, like right now you're asking, is it OK? Well, I would say go have the experience and see if you have things to say about it. Yeah. Um, one of our concerns with shadowing essays is they often come off as weak because it's passive. It's just you observing. But that's not always the case. Yeah. Sometimes you're shadowing and then it turns into a little bit of hands-on care. Yeah. Um, you know, you're shadowing and the patient says, will you come hold my hand? Like yeah. now, now you're not a fly on the wall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's right. no, no rules and activities. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want to do is fine. Jordan, ooh, I wish I had Ryan's cheer thing. Jordan says, didn't think I'd get this far, but I have multiple A's, now what? Woo! Yay! Yeah, Jordan, that is so wonderful, congratulations. Um, They say, how do I pick what's best for me and my family, parentheses, Mm. young kids, Mm. yeah. Uh, Yeah, we actually just did a parent pre-med support group uh, session about this last night. You have multiple acceptances, now what? Best possible problem to have in the entire admissions process, multiple A's. Um, So, yeah, I hope you're really proud and I hope you're taking a moment to congratulate yourself. And Ryan is watching (laughs) from Hawaii. It's like 730 in the morning there and he's there to say, yay, yay. (laughs) I don't know what that means, Ryan. (laughs) Ryan, also happy. Um, Yeah. So, Jordan, there's a couple things here. So one is we've talked a lot about the importance of a pro-con list. You need to think about what are the attributes you're looking for in your experience, right? So, you know, what's best for you and your family? Where do you want to have your kids be raised? Where can you live? Where do you have support? Um, What's the learning style of the med school? Um, You know, what kind of resources do they offer? Um, what support do they offer with rotations? What support do they offer with research? What clubs and programs do they offer that interest you? You you really do just have to spreadsheet all of that out. Mm -hmm. But then also you need to go with your gut. So I know, Scott, you've talked about that a lot recently. Chime in on the all-important gut. Yeah, I, I think, Jordan, that intuition is a very important part of this process. What does your heart, gut, whatever metaphor you want to use, uh, say to you about the school? And, and and keep in mind, especially for someone with a family and young, you know, young kids, you're you're not just going to a medical school. You're going to a community. You're going to a city. You're going to, uh, you know, think about living expenses, think about childcare, think about job for your spouse, uh, think about um, is it a safe environment, uh, you know, what, what does housing look like uh, in that location, uh, wh- how close are these locations to your support network, relatives who, you know, potentially can keep the kids on occasion, you know, stuff like that, mm-hmm. that I think you really need to consider in this process. You know, the great thing about medical schools in the United States is that they're all wonderful. You're going to get a great education at any of them if you engage and do your part in that process. So I do think exactly what Rachel said, looking at, you know, how you learn best and the curriculum and stuff about the medical school, all that's very important. But I also think particularly for somebody with a family that you have to consider the other stuff too. And then just between you and your spouse and maybe even your kids, depending, you know, on on what you do with them, you know, getting a, a combined effort to say, what do we feel like is the best decision here? Uh, mm-hmm. I made this uh, a comment last night that I, I firmly believe that the spreadsheet of the pros and cons will tell you a lot 
but your intuition may tell you something completely different. And uh, I would say just kind of keep in mind that uh, there are times in our lives when all the spreadsheet information says one thing and our intuition says something else. And uh, I am of the mind to believe that you go with your gut. And uh, so that's that's my uh, my read on it. Yeah. And congratulations again, Jordan. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, Jordan. I'm so excited for you. That's crazy good. All right. I'm taking the MCAT in mid-June, looking to submit my application by the third week of June. Will my application still be considered in the early batch? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're all giving you the like emoji. <laughs> all right. uh, yeah, probably. Right. And so a lot of people are going to ask this. We're going to get more and more questions about timing as we get into the application cycle. And the truth is, we don't know because we can't tell you exactly what every admissions committee at every med school is going to do. Here's what we can tell you generally. And we'll use, I'm going to use AMCAS as an example because ACOMAS and TMDS do have slightly different schedules. So for now I'm talking AMCAS. AMCAS is going to open May 2nd. You can start working in it. May 30th, you can submit. Um, the more people um, who submit all through late May and early in early June, the longer it starts to take to get your application verified. And AMCAS does verify all of your course history before it considers your primary application processed. Mm -hmm. So the later you submit, the longer you might be submitting in limbo, waiting on your application kind of being ready for med schools. Mm -hmm. um, around June 30th, whether or not your application has been verified, you may start getting secondaries from med schools. And so sometimes I say, oh, they verify your application and then med school sends you secondaries, but that's not actually quite right because AMCAS schools can see if you have sub um, designated them even if the application isn't processed. So sometime in late June, early July, you're gonna start to get your secondaries. If you've been listening to us and following our advice, you've been pre-writing them. So one thing is if you're looking to submit your primary in the third week of June, I guess that means you're doing a lot of intense pre-writing of your secondaries the fourth week of June, the first week of July, because my goal is still for you to have not just your application submitted early, but your application completed early. So secondary essays of which you can expect an average of four to five per school. So you're looking at having maybe 80 to 100 essays that are all due in the first couple of weeks of July. Um, taking Casper preview, um, if there are any pending letters of recs, chasing those down, making sure transcripts are in, and uh, making sure a final MCAT score is getting, which you said you're taking mid-June. So um, it sounds to me, I'm a little bit afraid from the way you've written this, that you plan to take the MCAT and then work on your application, which makes me very nervous. Need to be doing yeah. that concurrently. Yeah. If, you, if you have all that other stuff in that I just described and you get your MCAT back in mid-July, you'll probably be fine. And the reason is, is that even if you submit on May 30th at 8 a.m., in May and June, most admissions committees are still finalizing this year's cohort. So again, it's gonna vary school to school. We cannot control what every single member of every single admissions committee is doing med school to med school, but most of them aren't gonna actually start looking at the 2024 entry year submissions until sometime after the 4th of July um, break. Um, so you're, you're probably fine. What you haven't done here is cut yourself any cushion, mm -hmm. right? What if you're not ready to take the MCAT in mid-June? Are you prepared to be doing, I mean, you haven't said, but are you currently working on personal statement and activities? Have you figured out when you're pre-writing secondaries? Um, are you applying Comus or Texas? In which case you may actually want to have those applications in a little earlier because they open earlier. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of nuance here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, do what you need to do. You can't, if you're not going to be ready sooner, then then you're not ready sooner. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to let you handle this, Scott. Is <laughs> it a fair question to ask med schools to waive a prerequisite course? Some schools I'm considering, which I never took, but I have taken all three calcula calculuses in differential equation courses. Um, so my perspective on this is 
you can ask the question, sure. Um, the likely answer is going to be no. Um, the problem here, uh, DG, is that um, they have to treat all applicants the same. And if they waive a prerequisite for you, then they have to be willing to waive it for other people as well who did not take all these courses. And what's, you know, this is like, and, and, and I would say, uh, so that's the general question, the, the general answer is that, sure, you can ask the question, but you need to be prepared for the answer to be no. Uh, if it was my med school, I would absolutely say no um, for two reasons, particularly with regard to one reason is that, you know, we have to treat everyone the same. We have to treat all all students the same, all applicants the same in the process. And if we're going to waive one prerequisite for you, then, you know, if, if a student doesn't have enough biology, do we raise it? Raise it? Uh, waive a, a, a prereq for them, uh, et cetera. Secondarily, with regard to the specific nature of your question, the stat class, statistics is much more important to the practice of medicine and to science than calculus is, frankly. And uh, statistics is the language of science. Uh, statistics is the language in many ways of medicine. And if you do not have, that's why medical schools require it. Very few medical schools these days require any calculus at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, many, if not most of them require statistics. So I would say both you're going to want to get the statistics class, both because you uh, want to meet the prerequisites because the answer is likely going to be no. But I think the more important reason for taking statistics is you are going to want to have taken statistics. Uh, you will want that in your in your toolbox uh, for what you're uh, going to be doing. Um, now, you can take it online. You can pick up a, an online class. There are most medical schools these days are are much more flexible with online classes than they used to be. There's still a few that say, no, we won't take anything online. But uh, I would say, you know, at, at the very minimum, it would be much easier for a medical school to say, okay, we'll accept this online course then it would be to get a medical school to say, we'll waive it completely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think that's really well said. Um, every single time I um, hear someone say something like, well, I don't know if I want to apply DO because there aren't as many DOs in my specialty. I think to myself, three thoughts. One is how many MDs are out there compared to DOs, right? We know there are tons more MD schools than DO schools. Two, did you look at how many DOs applied versus got in? Uh, wait, I'm doing three fingers for two. Yeah. And the third thought I think is, did you check stats? <laughs> Every time someone butchers the way residency works, my first yeah. thought is, where are your critical statistical inquiry skills? Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, it, it will help you in medicine. It will also help you navigate a lot of the baloney of the admissions process, right? There is so much kerfuffle and mess out there you need that, those abilities to do that statistical inquiry. It's going to help you on the MCAT. It's going to help you in med school. It's going to help you in life. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I have, a, I have a very important question, Rachel. Okay. How do you spell kerfuffle? Oh, I believe it's K-E-R-U. Oh, kerfuffle. F-U-F-F-L-E. I don't know. You can tell that's from my, from my years in British schooling. I am I am American. I always say born and raised in Ohio, except right asterisk. And right. every once in a while, you can be like, "Did that girl just say a British thing?" Yeah, just spent a little bit of time in the British education system. <laughs> and kerfuffle and keen, they come up a lot. <laughs> well, here it is. It is K E R F U F F E. L E. Oh, that's what I said, right? Yeah. A couple, commotion man. or fuss, especially one caused by conflicting views. Uh huh. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. 
Awesome. I didn't realize that wasn't common parlance. <laughs> no, I mean, I've heard it before. I just, I, I never really knew. I mean, I know how to use it in a sentence, but I don't, I couldn't define it. So, I have yeah. that with a lot of my words. I yeah, also right. have a lot of words that I know the meaning of and I don't know how to say. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let's, let's circle back to pre-med. Uh, we're starting to run low on questions here, friends. Yeah, okay. We've got Jawad again. Jawad says, thoughts on a high MCAT and 3.5 GPA, last 30 credits of 4.0. Practice full lengths have been 516 or so, so I have hopes of scoring in that range above. My thoughts are that's great. Yeah, awesome. I'm, gl I'm glad you're taking practice tests. Yeah. I'm glad you're scoring well. I'm glad you've got an upward trend. Um, yeah. And a 3.5 GPA is not bad. Right. Uh, this is, you know, a, a strong, uh, a solid GPA. So, I, you know, you know what? I mean, with, with love and respect, I don't know if you're looking for praise, if you're looking for criticism. Like when you say thoughts on, like that's a really open thing. Here's my thought. This is great. This is not going to get you into med school. Right. Um, it, you know, when we think about college admissions, we often think about like the safety or likely based on stats, the match or target based on stats, and then the reach. Well, with med school, it's all reach. People with great stats get turned away all the time. You mm -hmm. have to have at least good enough stats to apply but the stats are never going to be enough. And I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so this isn't a criticism. I'm just saying my thoughts are, good job. Now let me find out why medicine. Let me find out how you've been spending your time. Let me find out your thoughts on your clinical observation and your direct patient care. Let mm -hmm. me find out what you do with your time outside of being a pre-med so I can understand your humanity, right? Um, stats are great. They're still just the baseline. So good job and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said. Well said. Here's a good one right here. Yeah, go ahead. Let's see this one. Okay. How late is too late to apply for medical school? I was thinking to apply by the last week of July, but not sure now. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the session, too. There's no – well, there is an official deadline in the fall. That's, that's way too late. Um, very rough. And again, you guys always want to nickel and dime pinpoint every single data. But my rough thing is June is great. July is fine. By August, I'm worried. After that, I really, I mean, I'm not saying never, ever apply in September, October, but I, I don't know what you're doing. I want to know why you think that's going to work for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. More to say on that, Scott? No, I just think uh, I think last week of July is really pushing it pretty far. It depends on um, if by the last – see, here's the problem with applying. If you're pushing the submit button the last week of July, then the problem is, is your application going to be complete? Are you waiting on an MCAT score, uh, for example? Uh, uh, and in the last week of July – the, the application services are in full swing. They've got lots of applications. It can take six, sometimes even longer, six weeks or even longer to verify your application, get it out to the medical schools. And so, you know, that's pushing it into last week of August, even into mid, early to mid-September before the med schools are even getting your application. So, so you see that the, you have to not consider just when am I going to push the submit button, but what is the process after that before the medical schools even get your application? So just kind of keep that in mind. We're not saying don't apply the last week of July. I'm just saying you need to be well aware of what, what all that means and have realistic expectations based on, uh, that timeline and based on kind of the, the uh, uh, details of your application uh, and, and what that might, uh, what impact those things might have as well. Yeah, great. All right, uh, Megana here uh, had asked us a question we asked her to clarify. So a cardiovascular tech major only available at her school. So she asked about, is it okay if I have clinicals the last year? So the context here is part of the major is taking clinicals for senior year. Will it be looked on, looked bad on since it's just before application? So a couple things. One is I love it when schools include externships or rotations in undergraduate programs. It seems so crazy to me that as future health professionals, 
you're expected to get clinical experience, and yet we don't fold that into the education. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few schools that have support for it, but um, I, I love it when this stuff happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your timeline is, Megana. I mean, if you're applying junior year, then senior year is definitely too late, <laughs> right? Because the work you're doing after you submit apply doesn't give you any essays to write. Um, and then even with it, you know, if you're applying after senior year, if you're planning on a gap year, then I think it would just be a matter of like, are you starting it in the fall? Or are you starting it in January? The mm-hmm. way clinical experiences I find work best is if it's consistent over time, um, because you need time to get meaning out of the experiences and reflect on them and write essays. And I am typically recommending that people start writing essays January of the year they apply. So, you know, I don't know your specifics, but if, for example, your rotations, your clinical experience that you get through school starts January of your senior year, well, then you're still trying to get experiences when I say it's time for you to be reflecting on writing. So does it look bad? No. I guess my question is, are you only waiting for that? Like, can you be getting clinical now? Again, it doesn't have to be a full-time job, a part-time job. It is a lot harder to get volunteer clinical experience than it used to be because we're still in this post-pandemic world, but there are opportunities out there. You can't just call your local hospital. You've got to try all the hospitals, all the urgent care centers, private practices, free clinics, um, hospice. Hospice is almost always desperate for volunteers. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this thing you've got through school sounds great. I'm just saying, if you're worried about the timeline, why wait? get more than one clinical experience. Yeah, and I'll add to that. If I was looking at your application and I saw that all of your clinical experiences were coming from your class, the program that you're in, I would sort of perhaps wonder um, why that is. Mm -hmm. Why is... Why is it that you are only doing clinicals, uh, are only having clinical experience when you're required to do so by your program? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not doing anything outside of that. So I think don't wait. Uh, same thing with Rachel. Don't mm-hmm. wait. Start getting experiences now. You can do it on a very limited basis and stuff like that. Yeah, and that was part of her follow-up as saying yeah. it found out that it's part of the major. I think it could be. I, I think you know I would wonder about that if I was an uh, if I was an admissions officer at a medical school, mm-hmm. uh, I would have wondered about that in the past in my in my experience uh, doing that. Mm-hmm. And and I would say that uh, um, you know I don't know that it would have gotten would would have barred you from an interview, for example. But I think it, it could be question in terms of uh, how, how it looks. And so, yes, uh, I, I'd be a little bit concerned about that. Yeah. All right, uh, we've got a few minutes, time for a couple more. Yeah. Uh, Stefani says, accelerated curriculums that allow med students to graduate in three years instead of four, what does accelerated mean? Do they cut stuff out or are they teaching you, expecting you to learn double speed? Good question. <laughs> There are uh, some of these programs, most of them that I know about uh, are um, uh, related to primary care. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what they're doing, uh, it's a very interesting uh, process, but the essential nature of it is they are combining some things that would typically be done in the the fourth year of medical school, uh, electives and stuff like that, they're combining that with uh, what you would do in your first year of residency uh, in a primary care setting. Family practice is the the most uh, notable one uh, that they do this with. And so the, the answer is no, they're not expecting you to learn double speed. It's not it's not really an accelerated curriculum. It is, it, it's, that's really not the right way to express it. It is really more a, a, uh, a combined curriculum with the residency program. And most of the time, 
these programs are set up so that you're doing your medical school and your residency in family practice at the same institution. And so they know what's happening in residency. They know what's happening in clinicals. You don't do this kind of program and go from one medical school and then apply to residency programs nationally. It, it, they're very con, 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 condensed, but also confined to that institution. Uh, so, um, so I hope that answers out. Um, yeah. So in, in Ryan just, uh, said the mostly fourth years modified. It does not affect the, the preclinical stuff, the, the basic science stuff, and it really doesn't even affect the third year rotations. It's really uh, affecting the uh, fourth year. That's right. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, limited curriculum yeah. Or versus accelerated. Right. So uh, one of the wonderful Application Academy teaching assistants, Gabby, is here today, um, yeah, and yeah. she commented when we were talking about Academy before, come join us. It is a great supportive community and a lot of fun. Um, honestly, hiring TAs is maybe one of the most fun things I get to do here. Mm -hmm. There's so much that gives me a joy, but yeah. when, when people join our advising program, and get so darn good at navigating the application process that they're now qualified to teach it. So they not only get into med school, but they're like, you know what, Rachel, Ryan, Scott, Courtney, Verenia, everybody else, I like hanging out with you. Can I come teach students with you? It just it just warms the cockles of my cold Midwestern heart. Um, Gabby is super cool. She's one of our mini TAs who are on the team. Application Academy is now 15 sessions per week. So for $499 until Sunday, April 2nd, you can enroll and get up to 15 hours of advising every week for a year. Mm -hmm. Do you have to come all 15 hours? No. You can't <laughs> right. that. That's <clears throat> Highly unlikely. The idea is the topics are constantly rotating. Um, you can always pop in. You build the course you need. You get out of the program what you need. Um, so, you know, you want to work on personal statements. You want to work on the new other impactful essay from AMCAS. You want to work on an institutional action essay. You want to work on your Texas optional essay. Whatever it is, we've got a class for it. Mm -hmm. We do um, open Q&A sessions. We do live interview prep. It's all constantly rotating so that whenever you start, we've got what you need. That said, we are closing the cohort for the 2024 entry year. So if you're hoping to apply to med school this spring and you want to join Academy, your last chance is this Sunday, April 2nd. Um, so I hope, like Gabby says, that you will come join us and be a part of this great supportive yeah. community. It is fun. You're going to work super hard. You got to work hard anyway. You might as well do it with some people who get it. And, it's, and when it's fun. Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll see you again next week. Thanks so much for coming to live from at office hours. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.